Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia, and we are The Thought Hackers. Today, our guest is a fellow by the name of Ted O'Neill, who we've known for a while and has been helping us with our PTSD site on Facebook. Ted grew up in a dysfunctional family where all he saw was chaos, and yet despite up his upbringing, he graduated with a degree in psychology and he wound up working in a psychiatric crisis center for eight years. And after that, he wound up going to law school. And then after that, he formed his first company that was highly successful. And on the day his largest client canceled their contract due to 9-11, he had a heart attack, which caused him to spiral into a deep depression for nearly a decade, during which time he was perpetually suicidal. He lost his friends, his family, he left home, and his children. He found himself homeless, sleeping on floors in the Philippines. Eventually, he submitted to psychiatric care, but unfortunately, the medicine he was given made everything worse, and it led to a combat-level traumatic event. And sometime after that event, he had what some call a spiritual awakening. And now, as a result of that, he spends his time helping others avoid what he experienced. So, Ted, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you, gentlemen. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's nice to have you. And Normally, I'd start off with a question like, what was the what was the thing that caused your life to spiral out of control? But it seems that it, it was either the heart attack or something that happened after the heart attack, which... Well, I think it's it's one of those things that, it, you know, for me, it, it wasn't really one pretend, uh, you know, specific moment. Um, but I, if I had to say, it would probably be the day I had the heart attack because um, losing my company that I had been with for five years and was responsible for uh, 17 people we had on payroll um, while having a heart attack, I think that was sort of the existential crisis. Um, if I had to say there was a ground zero, uh, that probably would be it. And, um, you know, unfortunately, that led to just a, a sort of a lost decade, uh, for lack of a better way to put it. And, you know, th- th- I, d- I would say that this thing is not uncommon. I've, I've heard about so mm-hmm. many people who have had a, a catastrophic event, which literally causes everything to go kaboom, and everything that they've worked for, everything that they thought they were doing, it just suddenly disintegrates. Absolutely. And it's a bit funny because, you know, they had a, I wouldn't say mandatory, but, you know, as part of the cardiovascular rehab, uh, they, you know, asked me to go to see a, a psychiatrist. I had never been to, to one at that time. And I went to a young, I think he was actually an intern, and a resident, I should say. And he said, well, it's not as if you had a bad heart attack. And I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never went back to him, but uh, that was I, sort of... A small wonder. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I think I, I had a message that, I, you know, this shouldn't bother me, I got um, from him. And I should just say, well, it, it wasn't a big deal and move on. But, uh, you know, I think that when you have a heart attack, it's sort of, there's a, sort of a, your life flashes before you. 
and I was just not in a place where I was able to process that uh, very well at the at that time of my life. Yeah, yeah, and and you know I was looking at your notes that you sent over to me, and I, I just called it up because you in this note I I saw this thing like after the discharge. You said you found a Chinese psychiatrist who didn't subscribe to the men, uh, Western concept of mental illness. According to what you wrote, he told me, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. And then he said, I, I, I think that you are lost in your thinking and you have become a slave to your thoughts. Correct. And when that I read that, it's like, wow, yeah, that's, yeah. that's yeah. huge. And it's amazing because, you know, at the time, he was a fairly young doctor. He was actually younger than I was, so uh-huh. probably very early 30s. Um, and uh, he himself was actually going through chemotherapy. And so it was a very profound experience for me um, that he said that, and he did not pathologize. Um, and he, I, I was saying, well, what kind of medication? He says, well, I'm going to take you off everything. And uh, it, it was very unsettling, and he had to explain it. And I, I, fortunately, like I said in, in my sort of bio, I was in a place in my life where I was receptive to try different things. Everything I had been trying didn't work, so what do I have to lose uh, is kind of what I was thinking. And I followed his advice, and uh, he gave me a list of, of seven books, and that was my therapy. And that is what started everything. So what, what were the seven books? Do you remember? I remember most of them. Um, see, Alice Miller um, I, it was one of them. Um, the number one, though, of course, was Man's Search for Meeting by Viktor Frankl. And it's a book that, you know, for me, probably has changed my life. It, it brought a, um, a spiritual component that was largely lacking, um, which is a bit ironic since my undergraduate um, I had a minor in Chinese philosophy, so I had a lot of background in, in, in Buddhist studies, but I had never applied it. Uh, it was all intellectual. <laughs> I had never thought to, to do any of the meditation. It was just a purely academic exercise. And so Frankel really brought home to me you know, a purpose uh, for our suffering and a purpose for our daily existence that I had never really stop to to dwell upon yeah yeah and when you when you wind up in a situation like what you did so much of what you think you understood or believed it goes straight out the window and as to what you said about the buddhist studies i remember reading about a woman who was very involved in spiritual practice and she did all this incredible research and learned all these things about all these concepts and then one day she had a spiritual awakening and she was unable to relate anything of what was happening to her to all the studying that she did. It, it, it quite literally went straight out the window and she wasn't able to reference it in any way and she was hopelessly lost and fortunately she had access to people to help her out of it. And it's like what you're talking about with meeting that Chinese doctor that was like perhaps a pivotal point for you. Absolutely, and it's a bit strange because, you know, in undergraduate, uh, I remember taking a a series of personality class, and I had a very old-fashioned, hardcore Freudian psychoanalytical professor, very fascinating guy, but one of the upsides to that, even though I'm not in, today I don't really find 
uh, psychoanalysis to be beneficial necessarily. But one of the upsides of, uh, of that lecture series was that he introduced me to uh, a book called Toxic Psychiatry um, by uh, Peter Bregan. And it was it really made an impression on me about the psychiatric industry. And so for years I was just sort of hardcore opposed to psychiatric medication. And, um, you know, I got to a point, unfortunately, after that heart attack where I just gave up. And mm-hmm. it's sort of, um, I think we all, have, I think, have seen people like that. And you just say, I'm going to try something else. And, you know, I gave into the system, and the system basically chewed me up and spit me out and left me for dead. And oh, that's what it does. Um, and that's what it, that's what it does for most people. It's just not a uh, a system that is looking for wellness. It's looking for, you know, to be cynical. It's looking for customers. Yeah, yeah. and this is something we've discussed quite a bit. You, me, and Hamish. Uh, Hamish, do you care to weigh in on this a little bit? Yeah, it's, um, one th- one thing I'm, I'm it's just sitting in my mind at the moment is um, just taking it back a little bit is what Ted said about with the uh, Chinese psychologist that. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with you, and this is it's such a big problem with um, every, there's there's these huge beliefs that uh, are created that people think they you know I've been told there's something wrong with me there's something you know it is a disease it's an illness so there's there's got to be something wrong with me but there's not it is just all in this thinking, um, which that has really resonated with me very heavily Ted that's uh, um, for a psychologist to put it that way. Um. Absolutely, and I, I am not sure if it was it was you, Nathan, uh, but you know, in the last couple of months, I I, I heard this where um, things like PTSD is an injury versus yeah. an illness. Yeah, and I like that. I think that's brilliant because it's exactly what it is. Yeah, we. Yeah, and and I was definitely involved in this. It had to do with Hamish and me. We. Uh, Kelly, uh, Hamish's partner, wound up discovering a site, and there was a woman on there talking about her process to do with recovery. And but also in my own my own experiences with it, I began to realize that it, it, one could consider it as an injury. It's not an actual illness, and there's not. And and I was also saying the same thing as what this Chinese doctor was saying. There's nothing actually wrong with you. You're not defective. You're not broken. And, you know, that's something we, you know, all of us, we've encountered this so many times in all these Facebook groups, as a case in point, and people saying, oh, I'm broken. I'm going, really? Are there missing parts? Do I see an arm <laughs> on the floor? It's like, it's like, come on. But it, it's a concept, and it's an idea in the mind. It's like, oh, um, you know, this thing happened. I'm broken. No, you're not. You just think you're broken. There's a big difference. We un- and we understand that there's stuff going on. Yeah, it's you know something's yes. caused that that way of thinking. So how do we help you to unthink that and and change that program in the thinking? It's yeah, there's there's something yeah, but you're not broken. There's nothing wrong. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, and that, that was a huge thing in my own journey, which I'll just touch on very briefly, where I was looking, you know, at all the problems and abuse that it came from. And one day, several years ago, I was literally driving when it happened. I realized, wait a second there's actually nothing wrong with me. The problem is all these people over here who keep yelling at me and telling me that there's something wrong with me. No, no, no. I'm not crackers. They are. Correct. And, That's and, right. And when I had that realization, it's like, 
wow, what, what a major difference. But the interesting thing about it, again, very briefly, is that <coughs> most people who come from my kind of background don't actually begin to free themselves from it until they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s. And I was in my mm. 50s when it happened. So, but, you know, getting back to, you know, that thing with the Chinese doctor and saying, there's nothing actually wrong with you. You're lost in your thinking. Mm. And so, and, you know, as part of the questions that I sent over, like one of the questions would have been, uh, like, what was your worst moment, which you've already addressed. But the next oh, question... Actually, I haven't, I haven't addressed that yet. But, oh, uh, you haven't. My I mistake. Will in, Sorry. I will keep you in suspense because it's something that... <laughs> okay. uh, I am certainly I'm, I'm in mistake. The of, uh, of writing on, um, and I think that uh, it, it's something probably I'm looking at before Christmas that'll be out. Um, okay. And so look forward to that, but I can assure you I'll give you the first exclusive on that. <laughs> okay, sure. So are you, are you going to tell us now what your worst moment was, or is that it coming out in the book? That'll be revealed in the book. Okay. Okay. Well, then, okay. I'd, I'd like to ask the two of you a question. Where you've both mentioned that you've experienced this spiritual awakening, yeah. um, have I experienced it? I'm not too sure. I've been on a couple of journeys which I could probably relate to as close. Yeah. I'm not too sure because I I don't know it's, what it's the experience is. And 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 just letting listeners know that you know, when, when we talk about or when you guys talk about this spiritual awakening, what is it? That's a tough. Well, I, d I don't know what it was like. I know. It's, I know it's going to be different for everyone. It it is. There are certain hallmarks to it, and uh, I, and there are different types of awakenings too. Like the f the first one I went through, you know, maybe twenty years ago, was actually quite horrific, and it was very painful. And ironically, when I met m my teacher who helped me get to the place where I actually had the next awakening. He wrote about it in his book, and it actually was described by the Maharishi, you know, the guy who created Transcendental Meditation. The Maharishi had written about this, and when I read it, it was an exact description of what had happened to me 20 years ago, and it just blew my socks off. So there are m different types of awakenings, but the mm -hmm. second one that I went through is the one that you hear about in popular media, Eckhart Tolle, Byron Katie, Adyashanti, Muji, all those people, that's the one that is, you know, the most common one. Uh, and that's for Ted, I can't say. I mean, for me, I, I think what happened was um, it, it really took the, the ultimate trauma for me to, uh, to see life from a different perspective. And I think yep. that, um, you know, I was in the hospital um, and I recognized... I looked at the world completely new. Uh, it was as if I had new glasses, and yeah. everything that I had I had accepted as true. I looked at it, I guess, from the perspective of a child, and so a lot of things uh, that I had held as absolutes were no longer. And it was, and it took me anywhere from about a year to about two years to slowly unplug, uh, so to speak, from that uh, faulty way of thinking. And so it was, for me, it was like someone cracked uh, a vase, and at that point, the light finally was shining through. And yeah. that's kind of how I look at uh, as PTSD and, and other trauma is that, you know, there's a crack in the exterior, and you know, a lot of people are afraid of that. But uh, from the upside to that, it is an opportunity for trem and tremendous growth and transformation. Um, people 
find it funny that I said the best thing that ever happened to me was experiencing um, the high trauma. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, to be frank, I'm not sure if I, I would have been able to really come out of my depression uh, had I not gone through that. It was, to me, you know, um, to use sort of an Old Testament type of thing, it was sort of, uh, you know, Jacob wrestling with God. Um, and I ended up with a with a hip just like Jacob. And for me, it was a constant reminder of what I went through, of where I was, and most importantly, where I am today. Yeah, and what you've said, those different descriptive things, they're looking at it through the eyes of the child, everything became new, looking at it like you were wearing different glasses. Th- those things happened to me too, exactly that. And what the what happened, uh, just to give a bit of detail about it for those who are listening, my, my situation happened eight years ago and it happened after I fired my biggest client and the next day I was walking out of my bedroom into the living room and literally between one step to the next is when um, I woke up, for lack of a better description. And what happened, just some details of it, is just um, everything stopped and I found myself looking up and turning around inside my mind and looking into the darkness and there was all this darkness inside me and I don't remember a lot of anything else around me. I don't remember if I was still walking or I stopped, but I just wound up looking into this darkness and then I saw what looked like a candlelight, you know, the candle flame, and showed up in the darkness and I was just looking at it and then I heard a voice, a man's voice, say, I am. And then the candle faded and then I kept looking into the darkness and then the realization I had was my God there is no me there is no person and then this question popped into my head to do with yoga which was well if there's no person then who is bound and who needs to be liberated Uh, at that time I thought it was the most ludicrous thing I had ever heard and I started laughing inside my mind and realized that this is what a spiritual teacher by the name of Gangaji called the joke. And, uh, and I got it, and it was hilariously funny. And that thing was what they call, it, it was a textbook um, account of spiritual awakening, and it turned my entire life inside out. And one of the things, major things that happened is all of the esoteric spiritual teachings suddenly became complete completely clear to me. Um, I understood everything. My language changed. The way that I spoke changed. The way I walked in the world changed. I was lost for a long time. I didn't know how to talk to anybody. And it was um, it was really uncomfortable for a long time afterwards because I, I was living in two worlds. The world of the absolute, as we call it, or the one, and the relative reality. So... I'm hearing a binging in the background. I'm not sure what that that is. I think that could be me. I mean, yeah. okay, okay. We we don't we don't bing in Australia. So, uh, well, maybe you bong. I don't know what you do. <laughs> anyway, so you know that that was my experience, mm. and in I, and, and and the just oh. one last thing, the unpacking. Yep. I've been on that unpacking journey for eight years, and according to one of my teachers. It takes between five to ten years yep. for that. 
That's that's it. That's the last bit. Oh, we could have hours of discussion on the spiritual awakening. Oh God, and we will in, in these, <laughs> in these will. shows. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that what we'll we'll be talking about will be really useful for our listeners and mm. uh, giving them a, like a ringside seat, if you will, to yep. this stuff. So, so you know, t- getting back to what what happened to you. So you you you, you had this awakening, and uh, you've come to where you are now but uh, I'm really curious like about these different hurdles that you had to overcome to get to where you are now yeah I, I mean obviously I, I had experienced a, a pretty um, dramatic uh, fall from grace so to speak and um, finding myself uh, waking up on a hardwood floor in the middle of Makati Philippines um, you know it was a really it was a really bitter pill, and it's hard to imagine, you know, myself getting to that point. Um, you know, fortunately, I had uh, a very loving wife um, who, who was not my wife at the time. She was not, um, and my family was very unsupportive, And um, but I had a good friend, and I had my wife, and they were sort of my moral support through the the whole process and one of the things that I I learned um, after my traumatic event was was meditation and that probably has saved my life Um, I I went in gusto Um, I ended up actually living in a Zen uh, monastery for uh, a month I was actually planning to live uh, long term it just wasn't the best fit for me Um, but I delved into the practice um, with full force, and you know, I wasn't just a question of meditating an hour a day. It was you know hours in every single day. Um, so I think that that really gave me the time, the perspective to to grow. Uh, mm-hmm. But most importantly, I think is it. Re- I recognized for the first time in my life that uh, I was not my thoughts. Um, it was an amazing. Revelation um, to finally recognize that that uh, every single thought that came into my mind, I did not have to attach. I did not have to become emotional and perseverate upon that. Um, and it took me a long time before that happened. Um, and although I didn't necessarily maintain that level of um, asceticism for for very long, I think it was under a year. Uh, I think that background has has been with me ever since and you know and it's meditation remains a a daily part of my life uh, as well as just quiet time to reflect and and uh, and pray and it's something that uh, without that my life spirals and I think that that's you know fairly common and I think also I don't know whether I would have been receptive to um, different modalities so, for example, uh, NLP. NLP was never taught to me in undergraduate, um, which is peculiar. Uh, and I don't think that's, I, I'm an odd one here. I think, for the most part, institutional um, psychology has uh, thumbed their nose at it. And Not for yet. me, it has been, it, it, after going through everything I did, it makes complete sense. And it's a sh- it's shocking to me that we just don't use it in the professional setting. And 
the fact that we don't use it is why, in my opinion, that you have so many dysfunctional people who are in therapy um, because they're not getting what um, what they should. Um, to give you a little background on on this, my wife is actually a psychologist herself, but she's an industrial organizational psychologist. So her frame of reference is not pathology, quite the opposite. Her frame of reference is results. So she mm. did. She was a sports psychologist for, for many years with the, the Philippine Olympic teams. And so her issue was not why is this happening or why did this happen? Her, her focus was what can we do to fix it to get results? And that was a mindset change for me. Uh, I never really thought about it in terms. I always wanted to know the etiology of why I was depressed or why I was feeling this way. And she turned it on its head and basically said it was irrelevant uh, for the most part. Um, that if I took action, my actions itself would change everything. And you know, I began to think that that doesn't make sense, but. Um, she was very strong and very persuasive. It was actually her thesis for um, for her degree, and it was under a thing called James Lang theory, which is very from William James in the 1800s. Um, but then I started thinking about it. Okay, you have an alcoholic, and alcoholic's thoughts are still terrible when they make the decision to become sober. But at the same time, they make one decision, and that is to become sober. They stop drinking. They may not be ready. They may not have have a curative thought process, but that one step of stopping drinking has a trickle-down effect onto everything in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so I recognize that when you combine that with NLP, it is a, it's paradigm-changing uh, for me. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, you know, in the very short time that Hamish and me have been doing this show, I've, I've talked to a number of people, and there is one pivotal thing, uh, and or seems to be. There may be many, but there's one such thing that just kind of leaps out, and it's, and it's that piece. And when Hamish was talking to me about what happened when his wife died, another person uh, I spoke to multiple cancer survivor and and it's very very interesting and, and I can see that in just this very short time it looks like uh, the beginning of the theme and it's really good information so I'm, I'm curious Ted like in terms of the resources that you have now if you is is there any particular book or internet resource that you use on a on a daily basis or however often? I, I'm, on books, I would have to say I really like um, Brene Brown. Um, she talks a lot about imperfection, shame, and vulnerability. Um, if I had to have a criticism, uh, I have found that it doesn't necessarily resonate with some of my male clients. Um, it's she writes in a way that somehow it's very flowery. Um, I don't have a problem with it myself, but it just hasn't resonated with a lot of uh, men uh, that I've, I've suggested. So it's something I, I would like to see sort of a, a retranslation, if you will, <laughs> for that. But I, sure. I really like her work. 
Um, I think the the book, um, besides Man's Search for Meaning, that I think is very profound for me is a book called Spirituality of the Imperfection. Uh, it's by Ketchum. And I actually had the opportunity to meet the authors. There's actually two of them uh, at the University of Michigan, where one of them, I think, is a, a professor. And it's a really wonderful book. Um, it's loosely on Alcoholics Anonymous, although I've never... I'm not an alcoholic. Uh, I certainly cannot relate to where the book was coming from in terms of hitting rock bottom. Uh, but the book does, I think, a remarkable job explaining spirituality for people who aren't necessarily spiritual. Um, so it's a it's a great resource. Um, it uses storytelling, uh, which I think is a is a great modality for treatment and and help. Uh, it helps foster, I think, a better understanding. Uh, in terms of Internet, um, I think that the Internet groups on Facebook in particular, um, while there's are, there are a lot of just dreadful ones, uh, Nathan, mm. you and I have, have had a lot of comments about <laughs> that, yes. especially the, the PTSD groups, uh, there are, in fact, a lot of really resource-rich groups. Um, I'm a member of one group called the Manly uh, Group, and it's it's for men, and it's just a wonderful group. Um, the leader of that, Steve Miller, is very into Stoic philosophy, um, and it's something I've learned a great deal from that group um, and Stoicism in general. I think that it's a philosophy that I think a lot of us could benefit from. So um, I, there's another one uh, called The Stoical Man, uh, which is one of the, uh, it's an offshoot, if you will, from that. And it's it's a fantastic group as well. So uh, those are the resources that I, I would advocate at this point. Okay. So, you know, it's, as far as what we've been talking about today, we've we've covered a fair bit of ground. I'm just wondering if there's anything else that's come up for you that we've not covered with uh, any of these questions. Um, I'm just looking through these questions here. Yeah. I think just in relation to some of those groups you mentioned, Ted, that we've all been, the three of us have been exposed to and uh, sort of had our had our dealings with that um, they can get so caught up in their in, in their stories and their and all the drama and keep spiralling and and the groups just keep spiralling everyone further down. It's um, absolutely it really quite destructive. I mean, in in my opinion. I think the groups are the absolute worst thing that you could ever do. I think that the... I've probably been in no fewer than 30 different PTSD groups. And from my perspective, uh, it is the... It, it is like giving an alcoholic vodka. Yep. There's no difference. Um, it is feeding the, the symptoms and your... I have never come away from those groups saying someone was helped here. And if that's the case, then what are we doing having these groups if not to help somebody? Um, and unfortunately, I think what people have uh, confused is they want a salve, they want a uh, an elixir to make yep. them feel temporarily better. But in reality, what they need to hear is the truth. And oftentimes the truth, is, of course, is not something that um, 
it feels good. Uh, no, and we've put it out there and been savagely attacked. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I, I actually had a situation with something like that last night. I wound up talking to this woman who has, you know, all this background psychology and stuff, but an unbelievable amount of baggage and the victim mindset. And she was furious with me for, for telling her the truth, which, in my opinion, she really needed here. And afterwards she wrote this letter to me and uh, emailed to me but my situation is different and you don't know me and I thought man how many times have I heard this from these people in this group it's the same thing every single time and I just said to her what you've just been given is a case of very tough love because that's what that needed to happen here but because of your mindset you fought me on every single point because you're determined to hold on and blame everybody else for your problems. Yeah. But and, and she's she's yeah. right she is right in a way. I mean everyone's situation is different, whatever True. event has brought it on. But in in re- yeah, everyone's creating this reality from the thinking that they've been caught up into and um that's the stuff that's the same. It's it's a know. script. Almost. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like certain things that I encountered to do with like abuse cycles. Uh, I could almost set my watch by it. And so yep. it, it was. It became a very obvious script. And it's just like, wow. I mean, how do people all over the world learn this? But and, uh, that's something for another show. So anyway. I just wanted to mention something Ted mentioned before with, um, with your wife, Ted, sort of getting that NLP with the psychology. We've seen a lot of psychologists come through NLP training here in Australia and the one thing they all say this is just an amazing tool I wish I had have learnt this they should teach this in psychology in universities it's uh, just to have those tools on top of what they're doing um, they say it's just powerful absolutely well just to touch on something you said uh, Nathan you know Mm -hmm. with regards to you you don't know my situation in these groups one of the really peculiar things I, I notice about PTSD versus other, say, diagnoses, is that there's a, a need to have, show your bona fides before you can, to, you can talk to them. So you have to show that, you know, I've suffered this, I've complex PTSD, I went through, you know, trauma-based. Otherwise, they feel like you can't talk to them, which seems really peculiar to me. I mean, um, you know, I think that most of us can relate uh, to pretty much any situation, so I'm not exactly sure why one needs to to be having gone through PTSD to necessarily uh, treat it. Um, or, I, or are you a doctor? Are you medically yeah. qualified to talk to me? Yeah, and the, the other thing about that is, sorry, we're getting a bit of static there or something. But even even when you do demonstrate stuff, like in the case of this woman I was talking to. She used my knowledge, and even when I said I no longer suffer from this, to disqualify me. And, and she wrote me this long letter about how I'm still in this terrible place. And I'm going, this is pure projection. Of course. And it's like, what? it's mm. like, do you want any help, or are you just here to just complain? When and these un- people are told that they are going to live with this for the rest of their lives, that's the belief that's really embedded. So how yeah. can anyone get past this? Everyone's got PTSD. Will have this for the rest of their lives. 
Yeah. Yes. There, there is sound for sure. It's this, it's this self-fulfilling um, prophecy, and there's sort of the cycle. I mean, for example, yep. you give a, you give them medication, psych medication, and if they're fixed, then the diagnosis is confirmed. Uh, it, right. It's a very odd situation. I mean, no other form of medicine do you see that type of mentality. And if, if it doesn't work, then the diagnosis was wrong. So, in other words, Nathan, now that you are well, therefore you never had PTSD. That would be the argument. Yeah, and you know something? I've actually heard that. And there have been people uh, saying to me, oh, well, because of blah, 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 you never actually... It's like, who in the world came up with this really weird, twisted logic? <laughs> it's like, did you did you all go to some sort of bizarre school that I don't know about and definitely don't want to know about? It's just been really weird. Anyway, you know, anyway. Mm. we we can keep talking about this, but <coughs> I need to bring our our podcast to a close for today. And but before we go, Ted, uh, is there any way that people can get in touch with you? Uh, absolutely, I, I'm available on Facebook all the time. It's just Facebook uh, forward slash uh, Ted O'Neill. Um, so that's a, probably the best way to reach me. I'm very active, um, pretty much every day. Um, the last three weeks I've been uh, working on a side project, but I'm pretty much back full-time now at this point. So if anybody needs to reach out to me, I'm certainly there. Um, so it was it was absolutely an honor for both of you to have invited me, and I appreciate that. I'm sure we'll have you back again, Ted. We've got a lot to talk about. This is, this is true, yeah. Thank you very much for accepting the invitation and being with us today. Nathan, could I just just a couple of quick takeaways from what Ted's talked about for me, Please just do. to share just to share with listeners quickly is there's nothing wrong with you. It's it it's a pattern of you. It's all in your thinking, and these thoughts can be changed. And the biggest thing, which Ted mentioned later on, it's just a choice. It's making yeah. that decision that I'm gonna I'm I'm going to make change. Yeah, that's so absolutely critical. The choice. It's it's is. Um, you know, yesterday I, I went through a whole bunch of major mind shift things, and one of them came, ironically, as a result of listening to the first interview that I did with uh, another fellow who is a part of our show. His name is Nick Pereira, and he was talking about certain things, and when I would listen to the interview again in the process of editing it, I had an, uh, one of those aha moments, and it, and it just created another shift. Yesterday was a day of major major changes, major decisions. And some of them, it's like it's re, uh, yeah, NLP reframing something. And another thing is like, it, it has to do with going from a place of like lack and limitation. How do I become resourceful? Or just ma- making the decision. I'm That's going to do is. this in this way now. And when I live from this place of resourcefulness, the problems to do with the lack, limitation, scarcity just simply fall away. And it can be hard, but once you've yes. made that choice, there's then process. There's then the the teaching how to change that thinking. But making that decision to make the changes is, is where it starts. Absolutely but true. Yes. Anyway. Yes. Anyway, so uh, for those of you who've been listening to us today, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, We look forward to any questions, comments that you may have about today's show. And stay tuned for the next one, which is due to come very soon. 
My name is Nathan Siegel and my colleague Hamish Baston today and our guest Ted O'Neill. Thanks for being here. You've been listening to The Thought Hackers. Make sure you subscribe and get each new episode emailed straight to you so you don't miss a show. And have a look at our resources page where you will find programs, audios and books that will create change in your thoughts.